morning again. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Romans chapter 2. And uh, we are blessed this morning to have two of our missionaries all the way from Nepal. Will Pastor Punkage and his lovely wife, Tanil, stand up? Let's give him a West Grove welcome all the way from Nepal. Thank you guys so much. They traveled a long way. They're heading home today. They just came all the way just for the surf. No, they are on furlough. And they have little prayer cards right there in front of the map. Um, they are our missionaries. Tanil was raised and groomed in his church. And um, God was grooming her husband all the way in Nepal. And they met on a mission trip. And now he's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Kathmandu. And they are serving there. And they are ours. So let's make sure we cover them in prayer. If you would like to know more about what they're doing and how we can be involved and just really support them through our prayers and however the Lord may lead, they have prayer cards. But thank you guys so much for being here with us this morning. If you see them in the foyer, um, what, you, what they ask is you go up and give them a kiss. That's what you do in the Paul. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're like, no, no, we got to get home. No, but yeah, just go ahead and uh, make sure we greet them. We're so thankful. We love you guys, man. You guys are awesome. So thanks for being here. Romans chapter 2, and uh, we are going to jump right in, looking at verses 1 through 5. And as we saw on Wednesday, the Apostle Paul made it very clear that all men are guilty before God and without excuse. Every single person is. In chapter 1, he pointed out a specific people group. It was the heathen, those who were rejected God and were far away from God. So that was really the focus of chapter 1. Here in chapter 2, he talks about the self-righteous hypocrite, the moralist. And through this, it's one extreme to the other, showing that we are all guilty without excuse, whether we are heathen or whether we think we are good. We are guilty before the Lord without excuse. And also in that, covering the heathen to the self-righteous moralist hypocrite, that there is no partiality with God whatsoever. And so writing this letter to the church in Rome, when we deal here, when he's talking about the self-righteous moralist, this would be the one who um, thinks they're better than the heathen. This would be the, the moralist, the, the good person, the self-righteous religious person who would read chapter 1 and just think that they were better, look down upon the heathen that was in Rome. We know that it was a very evil and wicked place. Even the Gentile believers would be looked down upon. And as we'll see here, as we look through this, there's many, many practical illustrations for us here today. So we'll jump right in. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Looking at the sins spoken about in chapter 1, it would have been very, very easy for the self-righteous moralist to look down upon, to even judge the heathen. They were covering things like rebellion to God. It says that they had exchanged the, they began to worship the creation rather than the creator. And because of that, God gave them over to a debased mind. They began to do things that were unnatural. Men began to burn in lust for other men and women with women. And they began to do all sorts of evil and wicked sins. Sins like homosexuality, rebellion to God. And it's just a, a long list of the heathen in chapter 1 that they were guilty of. And so as the self-righteous moralist would read that list, that indictment upon the heathen in chapter 1, no doubt as they were reading that, as they were listening to that, they would be nodding their head and doing silent amens as they were reading that list. Now, for some reason, 
I don't know what it is, but it's a spiritual gift that everyone has. Anybody want to know what your spiritual gift is? Everybody has this amazing spiritual gift where they can see the sins in others more clearly than they can see it in themselves. And so the self-righteous person would be, as Paul's indicting the heathen for their wickedness and for their carnality, they'd be saying, yes, amen, amen. Oftentimes we even do that here. We think when we hear a message, when we're, instead of just receiving it and applying it and seeing how God would minister to us, all we're thinking about is, man, I hope my wife is listening. This is good. This is real good. Ladies, you're thinking, man, I hope he's listening right now. Wake up. Wake up. Hey, I'm here. I'm listening. And we always think it's for someone else. And that's spiritual pride at times. We just think, rather than just receiving, God, what would you say to me? We're so, God, what would you say to her today? She really needs to hear this. Oh, I wish he was here. He needed to hear this. And we get a new CD. We're being so nice. Hey, you really need to hear this. This is for you, right? And rather than just saying, it's for me. And so they would have, this was the heart of the self-righteous moralist. And we see this perfectly illustrated in Luke chapter 18. This heart of the self-righteous is illustrated in Luke chapter 18. It'll be on the board for you guys. Luke chapter 18 verse 9 says this. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and that they were very righteous and viewed others with contempt. This is the self-righteous moralist, always looking down upon others, thinking that they are better. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. We see this attitude of the Pharisee, even in the temple in the house of God, looking down with contempt upon this heathen, this sinner, thinking that he was better. And that was the attitude of many self-righteous moralists in Rome at this time, looking down upon. And so Paul gives a clear warning saying this in verse 1, you who passes judgment condemns yourself. The ones who pass judgment would have been those who are looking down upon, frowning upon, judging, but they themselves were guilty, thinking they were completely innocent. Passing judgment is something that we have to be care of, careful of. It's something that we have to constantly take inventory in our own personal lives, making sure that we have no blind spots in our own hearts. Because like we said, we can clearly see sin in other people, but for some reason it's a little difficult to see it in ourselves. This is why we have to seek the Lord. God, reveal if there's evil and wickedness inside of me. I don't want to have blind spots. I don't want to be deceived or tricked in any way thinking that I'm okay when really I am not. And so that was those who were passing judgment. And it's not just passing judgment, looking down upon, frowning upon to make oneself get better. Passing judgment could also come in comparison. It's very, very easy for us not only to point sin out in other people, but to also compare ourselves to other people to make ourselves feel good. We don't have to look very far. 
We all know someone who we are better than. And if we get the mindset of thinking, well, yeah, I had a bad day, but thinking this, I'm not like Jimmy. Oh my goodness. You know, and that's what this Pharisee was doing in church. Lord, I'm thankful I'm not like this tax collector. He's a swindler and he's unjust. And when we look to other people, yeah, it's easy to make ourselves feel good. But our standard, Jesus said, is to be holy as he is holy. And when we compare ourselves to the Lord, we understand that we fall short of the glory of God. And that's something that we never, ever want to forget. And so he says, you who judge, you already condemn yourselves. And so the apostle Paul turns it up a little bit more in verse 1. And he says, for you who judge, practice the same things. This statement, no doubt, would have shocked the religious, self-righteous, moralist of the time. This would have been hard for them to understand and even for us to understand. How do we practice the same things? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? How are we guilty of the sins that the Apostle Paul spoke about in Romans chapter 1? Let's look at some of those sins. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 says this, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. So after reading this list, the moralist who thinks that they're better, who thinks that they are without sin and looks down upon the heathen would say, how are we practicing those things? I don't do those things. What are you talking about? It says, you who judge practice those things. It's important that we understand what that word judge means. Here, that word judge in the Greek, it means to look down upon with condemnation. To elevate oneself, to literally look down upon, to make yourself feel better than and everyone else to feel lesser than you. And that's what they were doing. And so this type of attitude and judgment isn't good towards anyone. You've been around those people. You, you can feel that. You know that feeling. When you're around somebody and they think that they're better than you, you can just feel it. They don't have to say it. All you hear in your, in your mind is, <laughs> that's how they talk. That's how they think. You just okay like it's just they look down they think they're better for whatever reason this type of attitude this type of judgment is good never it's always wrong and it's important that we never let this spiritual pride the spiritual arrogance creep within our own heart our own life and one way that i've been able to battle that is to never forget where i've came from never forget what god has delivered me from and never forget god's heart towards Sin and the sinner. You see, because it's easy to look down upon if we forget where we came from, if we forget what we were saved and delivered from the bondage. If we forget that, then we can think about that. One of the stories I think illustrates that best is the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. You had these spiritual leaders who were ready to stone her and literally were looking down upon this woman because of the evil act that she had done. They were looking at her with contempt and snarl, ready to throw the stone. But Jesus, it says, looked at this woman with love. That's the difference. You see, when we can look past a sinner, we can see a sinner, we can love them and not judge them. That's not what God has called us to do. And so the meaning practice 
such things here. It isn't necessarily about doing the same sin, but it's conducting ourselves in the same sinful matter. We can't forget where we came from. We must remember that we are no better. James chapter 2, verse 1, it says that if we have broken one law, we've broken what? All of them. And so it's easy for us to elevate certain sin, to look down upon certain sins. It's easy for us in our human standpoint. There's things that are uh, disgusting and grotesque to us. We would never do that. Yes, I have a, a little, little problem here and there, but not like that. And so we elevate, and that's what makes us think that we could be better when sin is sin and Christ died for it all. When we understand that, it helps us to never look down upon people, never to judge people or to condemn people in this matter. And so we pick up in verse 2, it says this, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, And do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, and not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment and revelation of the righteous judgments of God. Now remember, this was being written to the self-righteous moralists. And so now, not only do they hear that their judging has condemned themselves and made them guilty of doing the same things, now they begin to hear about storing up wrath in the day of judgment, the wrath of God and the judgment of God, that there's no partiality. That's for everyone. This would have been mind-blowing for the self-righteous moralists, spiritually prideful to understand and to receive And so after the Apostle Paul lets the moralist know that just like the pagan, he is guilty without excuse, that there's no partiality with God, he gives them and us a good lesson on the judgment of God. The judgment of God and the wrath of God, sadly, is not something spoke about in many pulpits across the United States of America. But we would be amiss and and, and not right if we skipped over this section of Scripture, the judgment and the wrath of God, and we are not going to. And so we see this good lesson. The first lesson we see is that the judgment of God is based upon truth. And Paul shows that very clearly here in verse 2 when he says, the judgment of God rightly falls. I love the New King James translation of verse 2. It says that the judgment of God is according to truth. It's right and according to truth. And it's encouraging that God's judgment is according to truth. Not feelings, not emotions, not what he said or what she said. It's based upon truth. And that's great because nothing is hidden with him. And God knows everything and he sees everything. And so his judgment is based on truth. We don't know the hearts of man. We can't see the inside. We see the outside, but God does. And we're so thankful that God doesn't judge the way that we do. How many times have we rightfully or even wrongfully judged somebody based off what we see, what we think, or what we heard? Maybe not us here, but I'm sure we know somebody or, who has judged one time or another. Nobody here, I'm sure, but you guys can get the illustration of where we're going with this. You see them, and all of a sudden, you, you begin to think negative. 
wrong. And I've been guilty of this as well. I thought somebody was wrong. I thought I had somebody pegged. And they turned out to be the most kind, loving, godly person of all time. I'm like, wow, I was so wrong. I would never tell them that. I was so wrong about you. I thought you were a heathen. Oh, my gosh. I thought you were this, and I thought you were that. Or the exact opposite. Man, that's a godly man. That's a godly woman. Come out to find out that they might not be the case. And so I've been wrong. I've judged wrong. We've judged wrong. God never judges wrong because it's based upon truth. Our basis of judgment is what we think, what we feel, what we see, what we hear. And that's what we base on, and that's wrong. But that's not the case with God. And that's why I'm so thankful and I'm reminded, I want to encourage us in the calling that God has for us. God has not called us to be the judge. That's not what God has called us to be because we can't. He is the judge. God has called us to love people and to point them to Christ. I don't have to judge. I just have to remind myself what the word of God says. Love hopes all things, love believes all things. I might think, I might see, I might be right, but I might be wrong. So what I have to do is pour Christ into people. Give them the word of God. Encourage them in the word of God. Pray for them and help them along and just point them to Jesus. He is going to judge. I can't judge. We're not judges. That's not a spiritual gift. That's not something that God is equipped with. Some of you guys are good. Some of you guys are good, but that's not what God has called us to. And it relieves us from that. And so the first lesson we see about the judgment of God is that it is based upon truth. The second lesson we see about the judgment of God is that it is impossible for the unrepentant sinner to escape the judgment of God. The second lesson is that it's impossible for the unrepentant sinner to escape the judgment of God. And Paul shows that very, very clearly here in verse 3 when he says, Do you think when you pass judgment, you will escape the judgment of God? Unrepentant sinner, we, there's no escaping it. This scripture right here was calling out the hypocrisy that was taking place in the mind of the self-righteous moralist. And it reminds me very clearly of a story that we know very well from 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan the prophet had this confrontation where God sent Nathan the prophet to confront David, King David, David and Goliath, one of the mightiest men of God of all time. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. David had flaws, like you and I have flaws. And so Nathan goes to him, and you, you remember the story. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was married. David got her pregnant, and her husband was a man named Uriah, who was one of David's bodyguards, a mighty man of valor. And so to cover this up, he tried to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, back with his wife but he wouldn't do it because it was wartime. And so he knew he had to do something. So he sent Uriah to the front lines to have him killed, to cover up the sin. And so Nathan, a prophet, goes and he gives, he gives David this illustration. These two parallels. David, there's this rich man who had everything he ever wanted. There was this poor man who had very, very little. The rich man had herds upon herds, tons of sheep, tons of wealth, everything that he ever needed. But there was this poor man who had just one sheep. But he loved this sheep. And so what happened as he gives this illustration is that this rich man comes and he takes that which this poor man has. The only thing this poor man has, he takes it. King David, what do you think we should do? And David said, that man deserves death. 
He deserves to die. That is an evil and wicked thing that this man has done. And Nathan the prophet looked at him and said, you are that man. He was blinded to his own sin. And that's what hypocrisy does. You see, David's anger and that parable was right. That man did deserve to die. That was righteous indignation that David had. Because what had happened was wrong. But David was completely wrong and hypocritical and was guilty of hypocrisy because he failed to see his own mistakes. He had no clue. He was hearing this parable and he was getting mad, not even thinking, that's me. And that's what sin does. It blinds us. We've seen that in the life of Samson, right? Sin blinded him, it binded him, literally grinded out his life, and that is what sin does. That's why it's so important that we constantly take an inventory of our own heart, of our own life, making sure that we don't have no blind spots, making sure we don't have no times where somebody comes to us with a story and the Holy Spirit says, you are that man. Jesus rightfully in Matthew chapter 7 called the Pharisees hypocrites. You might remember that. He called them hypocrites because he said, why are you so focused on taking the speck out of other people's eyes when you have the log in your eyes? We're familiar with this story and we know this story. He called them hypocrites. Now, the problem with the Pharisees in that story, it wasn't them pointing out other people's sin. That wasn't what they were being condemned for. They were the religious leaders going around pointing out specks in other people's eyes. That wasn't the problem. The hypocritical and the reason they were hypocrites was because they failed to see the log that was in theirs. They were blinded with spiritual pride, thinking that they were good, thinking that they were perfect and holy and righteous, and they were failing to see their own sin. Oh, how we may never be guilty of this. This comes from honest time with the Lord, seeking the Lord, reveal those things that are inside. I mean, we do not want to have blind spots. And so in this, we see that the Lord is clear on a couple of things. One, God will have no part with hypocrisy, no part whatsoever. And if he judges the heathen for their wicked and evil ways, so too he will do the same for every one. There's no impartiality. So that's the first thing, no hypocrisy with God. The second thing is, is that the judgment of God is real. Everyone will stand before him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So the second lesson we see on the judgment of God is that it's impossible for the unrepentant sinner to escape it. We can't get away from it. The third lesson we see, the third lesson, third lesson, the third lesson we see here is that the judgment of God is delayed out of love. The judgment of God is delayed out of love. And I think Paul shows that very clearly here in verse 4 when he says that the purpose of his kindness, tolerance, and patience is to lead us to repentance. And we see love in that. How do we know this? It's because of the way he shows his riches towards us with kindness, with his tolerance, and with his patience. So the judgment of God is delayed. Not denied, but delayed out of love. We see that in his riches. The first thing we see is his kindness. And this speaks of his grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor, which he freely bestows upon mankind. That's what it talks about, his kindness. Now, when it talks about his tolerance, this has the idea of him holding back the wrath of God, which we so rightly deserve. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. And so when it talks about his tolerance, it's him holding back judgment, holding back the wrath that we 
deserve. The patience of God speaks of his self-control, of his restraint in spite of our sin and in spite of what we deserve. Paul says that these three characteristics, the kindness, the tolerance, and the patience, the Bible says that these are things that we cannot think lightly of. Look at that right there in verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches? Think lightly here can also be translated to think down upon. And what this has the idea of to taking value away from or even to look upon with contempt. Modern day, simple English, we take advantage of the riches of God. And this is a question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Are we taking advantage of the riches of God? Well, what are these riches? His kindness, his unmerited, undeserved favor towards us. Do we take advantage of that? Do we take advantage of his tolerance and his patience, knowing that he's long-suffering, know that his, he's gracious towards us? Do we take advantage of that? And the Bible says we never want to take advantage of that. We never want to think down upon her to take these things lightly. We have to search our hearts. With these riches that he's talking about here, we see God's amazing love and the fact that he delays his judgment out of love. Out of love for us. Why? Because his desire, as we see in verse 4, is that we come to repentance. That's why he's delaying. His whole desire, he doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to pour out his wrath upon us. His desire is that we come to repentance and get right and receive forgiveness. That's what he wants. And so he delays judgment. Why? Out of love. He wants us to come to repentance. Now, as we know, as we can study through the life of Peter, Peter was a pretty tough, hard-headed guy. I can sympathize and reason with Peter. I, I like Peter. He's made mistakes, but he loved the Lord. But this idea about God's heart and that all may come to know him and that all may come to repentance was something that Peter understood very well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he actually wrote talking about God's desires that none shall perish, but all come to repentance. Peter understood this message. And I think it's important for us to understand as well. Here today, anybody who's watching, and I think this is a great message to share with people, is that God's desires that none shall perish. None. But that all may come to repentance. That's good news. God doesn't want people to perish and spend eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. That's not what God wants. That's not what God delights in, what God desires in. The Bible says that nowhere. Matter of fact, it says the exact opposite. And we see here that the judgment of God is delayed out of love, that we may come to repentance. So it's all about repentance. It comes down to repentance. And this is a word that we use a lot, but not often do we define it. And it's as simple as we want to make it and as deep as we want to take it, but it simply means a complete change of direction. We're heading this way, but we turn our life completely around. And I believe this word repentance, it's really a two-part act. One, we turn our life around, we turn our back to the way we were going in the sin, and we turn our life to Jesus. It's two-part. If we just turn our life away from doing sin and evil things, and we just stop there, guess what? We're just a self-righteous moralist. We all know people who do good things, but aren't Christians, aren't believers, aren't saved, aren't set apart. We know people who don't lie, cheat, steal. 
But guess what? They're, they're still separated from God. And so we have to turn away from the sin and turn our eyes completely to him. And so we see the judgment. It's delayed out of love. And sadly, many have made the mistake because it's delayed out of love into thinking that God may not see their sin, that God may not care to deal with their sin. And that's justification. That's a deception of the enemy where we begin to think things like, oh, maybe he's too busy. I hear that pastor get up in the pulpit every single week and he talks about sin and how it separates us from God and how God abhors sin. But, I, but I'm sinning and everything's okay. I'm still blessed. I still have a great job. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful husband, great kids. Everything's going good in my life. You need to understand that the judgment of God is delayed out of love. Do not deceive yourself into thinking that things are okay. They are not. Well, the world's big and there's so many people. Maybe, maybe God doesn't see me. Maybe I'm getting away with it. Maybe this little sin is, is okay. No, it's not. That's not the mentality that we need to have. That's spiritual pride, that's blindness, that's deception. It's a trick of the enemy. And we need to never fail to see our sin and repent and get right from it. So the third lesson upon the judgment of God is that he delays it out of love. The fourth lesson that we see is in verse 5, and it says, the judgment of God keeps a tally of wrongs for the unrepentant sinner. It's the fourth lesson we see. And we see that in verse 5 where it says, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. We're not getting away with it. He just, it's not that he doesn't see it. He delays it out of love. But in our hardness of heart, in our stubbornness of heart, there's literally storing up of wrath for the day of judgment. One of the truest scriptures, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. The Lord is not what? Mocked. For whatever we sow, that shall we what? Reap. That is a, a biblical principle that is so true. And I use this scripture a lot in evangelism. If I share my faith and somebody wants nothing to do with it, I say, hey, can I just share this one last scripture with you? Because there's going to come a point where you're going to realize if you continue to sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. But if you, and, and that, which eats, equals and leads to death. And so you continue to go down that path, there's going to come a point. But if you continue to, but if you want to sow to the Spirit, it'll bring forth life. This, this is real. This is, this is God's Word. And so I like to, to share that and make them just think. Because some people might be in that season of sin being pleasurable, but it leads to death and it leads to emptiness. And with the Scripture, sadly, some have deceived themselves into thinking that everything is fine. Everything is okay, but it's not fine. It couldn't be further from the truth. They are storing up for themselves wrath in the day of judgment. Why are they doing this? Because their heart is stubborn, and their stubbornness and hardness of heart. Stubbornness is a Greek word where we get our English word sclerosis, which talks about the hardening of arteries. And we know, we can go on, and we understand the the seriousness of that in the physical realm, but even more so in the spiritual realm. When things get hard, it's not good. It's dangerous. It's not okay. And if we continue to allow our hearts to get hard, and we have no clue that the wrath of God is being stored up against us, it's a dangerous and scary, scary thing. 
I remember back when I was a hardened criminal, I remember the first ticket I got, I was 12 years old. I was a real rough kid. <laughs> I was 12 years old, I'll never forget it. I was on my way to 7-Eleven, and it was summertime, best time for a 12-year-old, and I was going to get a Slurpee. And I remember, I got this ticket for jaywalking. The light was literally 20 feet up the road, but I said, you know what? I'm going to be efficient. I'm going to be effective. I'm going to, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to save some time. I'm really going to work up, so I'm, I'm hitting the streets. I'm playing like Frogger. <laughs> and next thing you know, a little motorcycle club. I'm like, oh, my goodness. He comes, and he pulls me over, and he gives me a ticket for jaywalking. As I was recalling this story, I'm really, really proud of myself. Oh, spiritual pride, right? I'm really, really <laughs> proud of myself because I was 12 years old. I didn't have a license. I didn't have an ID. I could have lied to this man and told him my name was John Doe. And my address is, but no, I gave him my real address, and I gave him my real name. And I was terrified. I got a ticket for jaywalking. And so I tell you what, he said a ticket was going to be mailed. And I tell you what, I set up reconnaissance around my house. When that mailman came and dropped off that ticket, I was going to intercept that because, man, I got, I got spanked for not taking out the trash. What's going to happen off a ticket? There's no way that I'm going to do this. So I tell you what, that mailman dropped it off. <laughs> Boom, I got the ticket, opened it up. It's like 200 or $250. I'm like, Oh, my goodness. As a 12-year-old, that's $2 million. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I did what any kid would do. I threw it in the trash. <laughs> I, said, I said, there's no way I'm telling my parents or anybody about this. I'm not even telling my brother. He would have, I'd be doing chores for him the rest of my life. So I threw this thing away, and I threw it away. And I was like, man, that's gone. It's gone. It's done. I'm free. I tell you what, about six months later, I was on reconnaissance. It must have been about the time they were sending the report card to my house. So I was reconnaissance. I was added up. And all of a sudden, I got this letter in the mail. I thought this was done. I opened it up. That $200 ticket was now $1,200. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? It didn't just go away. I thought that everything was okay. But this whole time, it was storing up interest, and it was compounding. I thought it was gone, and I was continuing on, thinking that I was okay. But it couldn't be further from the truth. The problem that was this big is now this big. And I can't help but think that there's some like that in a spiritual sense where we think that we're okay. But in fact, we're not. We're sinning and our hearts are getting hard and in our stubbornness, we're storing up for ourselves wrath and the day of judgment. I eventually had to go see the judge as a 12-year-old. I went down and I threw myself before the <laughs> mercy of the court. And uh, I tell you what, he took it down to $200. But I was thinking, man, if I just would have dealt with it when it was $200, he might have made me pick up some trash and it would have been gone. It's always easier to deal with things when they come up. It's the same thing spiritually. When we sin, when we fall short of the glory, we repent. He says, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if we continue to sin, our hearts get hard. And we store up for ourselves judgments. Wrath in the day of judgment. And so we see here that this wrath is being stored up. And eventually God will have to deal with it. But the way he chooses to deal with it, because he delays this judgment out of love, he wants to deal with it now. He wants to deal with it right now before it's too late. And with everything going on in the world today, I can't help but think that the, the wrath meter is getting full. And I believe the judgment is coming soon. 
And I don't say that to scare you here today. I, scare that, I, I say that to, to warn you and to be real. The Bible talked about the days of Noah. The days of Noah are just like the days that we're living in now. And that's when God judged the earth. It is ripe for judgment as a world, as a country, as a county, and as us personally. And so we have to search these blind spots. Make sure that we're not storing up. Make sure that we're not blind. Because I believe it only takes so much and it has it's, it's the idea of a dam being held back. Eventually the water's going to push and the water's going to push and it's just going to flow. When it flows, it's too late. So we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions this morning. Do we judge or do we look down upon others' sins? Do we look at them with contempt, spiritual pride? Or do we look at them the way that Christ looks at them? The second question we have to ask ourselves, do we have any blind spots in our own life, any stubbornness in our own heart, any hardness in our own heart? That's something we have to seek God and ask. And if we do, we have to get right today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. Lord, we thank you so much even as we ask and pray that you would speak. Lord, you did. And God, we want to be not just hearers of your word, we want to be doers of your word, God. We're so thankful that your word is a lamp unto our feet, God, and we're so thankful that you speak and you instruct and help and convict and encourage us, Lord. And God, as we look at this word today, Lord, we have to search our own hearts. Is there any spiritual pride? Is there any blind spots, God? Is there any hardness of our hearts, Lord? We're so thankful, Lord, that We can learn about judgment and we can learn about your wrath that makes your love and your grace and your mercy so beautiful, Lord. We're so thankful for your love for us. We're so thankful that your plan for us is to know you and to be more like you. We're so thankful that we can look into your word and hear your heart and know your voice. And so, God, I pray as we leave that we would meditate upon your word, that we would search our hearts. And God, that you would speak clearly all those things you would have to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. As much as we would be amiss and wrong not to talk about the judgment of God, the wrath of God from this pulpit, the other side is the good news. Is that we can escape the judgment of God and the wrath of God by repenting and turning for him. It's possible that we will never experience the wrath of God, that we will never experience the judgment of God. It was paid for on the cross. That is the good news. And so if you're here today and you know that you're separated from God, you know that you're dead in your sins and your trespasses, and you realize that judgment is coming soon, you can deal with it today. That's what God wants. He's been delaying. He's been holding back because he loves you. And his desire is that you would come to repentance. And today is that day. Today is the day where you turn your life around from the way that you've been going and turn it to a loving God whose arms are open wide saying, come to me. Repent and turn your life over to him today that he may give you life, that he may give you forgiveness, that you can escape the judgment and wrath of God and you can begin to live for him. And if you're here today and that's a decision that you want to make today, there's no better place, no better time than right here and today. And I want to give you that opportunity. I want to pray with you and for you. And so I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if you're here this morning and you're ready to repent, turn your life around and over to Christ 
and you're ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I just want to pray with you. We just simply raise your hand so I can pray with you? Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to make that decision today. Ready to repent. Ready to give my life to him. All right, God bless you. Anybody else here today say, I'm, I'm ready. I don't want to face judgment. I don't want to worry about the wrath of God. I don't want to worry about storing up wrath. I want to live my life storing up treasures in heaven. I want to make that decision starting today. Okay. Maybe there's someone here today who needs to rededicate their lives to the Lord. They've strayed away. Their hearts got hard. And in their stubbornness, they turned their back on the Lord a little bit. But today they want to come back home. Lord, soften my heart. Forgive me for my stubbornness. I want to get back on that right track. If that's you here today, will you raise your hand? I want to pray with you guys. I want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. You don't even have to say it out loud. If you're here today or you're watching online, I just want you to say it like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and I have fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that a prayer in here or online, we rejoice with you today. We rejoice with you. You no longer have to worry about the judgment, the wrath of God. And you need to focus on serving him, walking with him, storing treasures in heaven, not storing up wrath in the day of judgment. So God bless you guys. If you are here and you need a touch from the Lord, somebody to pray for you, to pray with you, to encourage you, there's a prayer room right there. I encourage you to stop by and just let the Lord minister to you there. God bless you guys and we'll see you soon.